You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi everyone, and we are back in Whitehaven Mansions. I'm Frankie. I'm Adam. And in this episode, which we're going, the third floor flat, we found that poor Poirot's got a bit of a cold. Poor Poirot. <laughs> this episode uh, coming up is more than any other in this whole series, I think, is probably the let's let David Suchet do some physical comedy yes. kind of episode. All the way through, it's just he completely lampoons himself he he does physical comedy he does funny voices yes everyone gets a joke in on him as well it's really good yeah <laughs> no, you're right actually and it's nice to see because obviously Poirot himself takes himself very very seriously in his manner but it, it's so mm, yeah. much more fun then to see Poirot being a bit of a goof <laughs> Un- unintentionally mm, he's a real goofball That's yeah. perfect perfect word yeah, yeah it's really nice especially yeah. I, I, and I've made a gif which I will share on our social channels make sure you're following us of Poirot <laughs> dealing with his cold we'll get into the episode in a second but it's uh, I've watched it about 400 times just over and over again because it just brings me endless joy <laughs> watching him steam himself yes. so mm. but yeah before we go on actually um, we've got a, a very exciting competition and I need to give you the details on how to enter We've given away some lovely prizes so far. I've given away a graphic novel of Murder on the Orange Express and Pirate of Grey Cell's quotes book. You very kindly gave away your mm-hmm. incredible Agatha Christie jigsaw puzzle to a lucky winner. Did. It was a small controversy over that, wasn't it? <laughs> From a very sore loser, but... Um, yeah, we'll say yeah. a lovely, well-deserved winner who was randomly mm-hmm. selected. That is my legal line okay. that I am sticking to because it's true. <laughs> um, yeah, I know it's a good puzzle, but can't, calm down, guys. <laughs> It's a puzzle. Yeah, for Mm. goodness sake, that was ridiculous. Um, Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) this time we've got an incredible prize. It's a first edition of Agatha Christie's The Pale Horse. So this is a book from 1960... Yeah, (laughs) it's from the 20th century. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. It's a first edition of an Agatha Christie book. And we're giving it away to one lucky one. If you'd like a first edition, Agatha Christie, uh, we've got one for you. What we're going to do is you need to be following us on Twitter at Labours Hercule. So you need to be following us. That's one of the prerequisites. The second thing is I'm going to give you three character names from The Pale Horse during today's episode. All you have to do is DM us those three names. And as long as you're following us, you'll be in with a chance to win a first edition of Agatha Christie's The Pale Horse. That is a very good prize. Mm. I also like that with this, we are basically giving people like a a test to see how much they're listening to the podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Which is fun. You can't slack off and relax listening to this. Guys, this is work. You have to earn this. Okay. So listen up, pay attention, get your notepads out. It's what Poirot would have wanted. (laughs) 
So it's a good prize. So yeah, I'm going to give you three names from the Pale Horse during today's episode. All you need to do is send us those three names via DM on Twitter. So very easy. My question is, are you going to work them into conversation naturally or are you going to really make them stand out? Because I'd love to see you work these names in somehow. Well, Gallantly, that's my challenge to you. Well, I don't have the Thomasina Tuckerton to do that, I'm afraid. Oh, okay. <laughs> Setting the tone nicely. Very, very good. No, there you go. Um, there's your first one then. Thomasina Tuckerton. You're all Tuckertoned out after that one. <laughs> so make a note of that. And there's two more coming up at some point during the show. We also had a really nice email come in with a segment idea mm. um, from David that I wanted to read out. And this, David's full of good ideas, basically, and we're probably going to steal them all. So thank you, David. Um, it starts off by saying, hi, Frankie and Adam. I'm loving the podcast. I wish it had started years ago when I was started re-watching Poirot last year. I'm currently up to series nine. He accidentally typed season rather than series. So boorishly North American of me. <laughs> That's OK, David. We forgive you for that. So it will be a while until we're synchronised. I'm just now watching Death on the Nile, which is interesting comparing it to the Branner attempt to make Poirot an action hero with a love life. But, but enough said there. Yes, definitely enough said on that subject. My segment idea comes from watching the episode and trying to figure out who the American heiress was played by. It took me several minutes to recognise a very young Emily Blunt doing an American accent, question mark, exclamation mark, question mark, which is a, yeah, a really good point on that one. Uh, this would... This would have been before anyone over this side of the pond would have seen her in The Devil Wears Prada. So I thought a recurring segment might be to identify some of the actors who were cast on Poirot before they made it big. As I've rewatched the series, I've often spotted a face that will go on to become familiar, um, at least two future Doctor Whos for starters. They are often so young and so vaguely familiar that I'm not sure and I have to go onto IMDb to check. Of course, a successful segment requires a title. I've racked my little grey cells, but to no avail. Suchet Sue stars? Detecting stars? Star detective? Detecting the cast? Alas, I cannot come up with anything. But do keep up the good work. I look forward to something special around September the 20th, which is talk like a Poirot day. We need to mark our calendars for that one. And if you're thinking of monetizing and doing a Patreon, one possible bonus material option might be for you to review other versions of Poirot, comparing them to the relevant Suchet episodes. Au revoir, mes mm. We could call that Kellogg's Old Branner. You know what? That's a, that's a good one because... That has a similar laxative effect on me when I have too <laughs> I much prana. It ties you up in, in my diet in the same way, yeah. And it's uh, as fun mm. to go through a brana film as to pass a brick of all bran through your digestive system. Yes, it would. Um, oh, God. Um, but I do like, I really like uh, his, um, I've already forgotten the guy's name. That's a great start, isn't it? Literally just said it. David. And it's David Suchet's bloody name. I think I'd remember that. I really like David's idea, though, because he's so right. There are so many actors because obviously it's been the show was on for such a long time and so many people got their start on that show. And and interestingly, in, in David Touche's book about being Poirot, he talks about how the calibre of actor kind of grew and grew as the series went on and their budgets, you know, continued to increase or whatever. So, yeah, we could we could pull out some interesting when we see someone we recognise. I really like Suchet Sustars, personally. I thought that was really good. Yes, perfect. Yes. And well, there's uh, coincidentally, there's a, a big-ish name in this episode, isn't there? Yes. We'll get to her later on. Yes, yes. I got so excited with that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, yeah, and we, we've touched on it 
um, before with uh, Jim Browning from EastEnders last yeah, week. Yeah, Jim Browning from EastEnders, first inductee. <laughs> That's a strong start to that list. We get to Emily Blunt at some point, but let's start with Jim Browning. <laughs> let's get to the important ones first. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But thank you for the email, David. Yeah, thank you, David. You're not David Suchet, are you? His surname says no, but he could be trying to deceive us. I think it's him. Probably is him. Um, no, actually, this this David comes to us from Ontario, so he's one of our Canadian listeners. That's what he would say. <laughs> our classic <laughs> subterfuge there. Um, but if, if, like David, you have an idea for something we should talk about or any segment ideas, like please do you know, tweet us or email us. We are bonjour at thelaboursofhercule.com, so do let us know. We've also had a lovely review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as it's called now. No such thing as iTunes anymore, is there? It's from Jana Lyon, and she says, This is a real treat for the discerning listener. I recently rewatched Poirot, so this came along at just the right time. Five stars. Thank you very much, Jana. That's so nice. And if anyone else feels like dropping us a review on iTunes, that would be much appreciated. Thank you. It does help discoverability. Yes, please. Thank you very much. Only five stars, though, yeah. If you don't win the contest or anything, don't go... Um, getting your revenge by killing our star rating. Unless you want to win the prize for the sorest loser of all competition, which we will run separately. To be honest, you've got some tough competition to beat <laughs> for that puzzle, lady. <laughs> the bar is very high. Good <laughs> Yeah, that woman needed some pseudocreme all over. <laughs> so sore was her losing. <laughs> anyway, shall we get on with the episode? Let's do it. So let's catch up with the Whitehaven Four. I love the Whitehaven Four in this. This is uh, this is solid peak, to be honest. Mm. So uh, first of all, Poirot, as we said, he's got a cold and he's suffering like crazy. Uh, Mr. Poirot, you've only done seven minutes. You'll never cure your cold if you don't obey the instructions. I can't imagine a method so dignified can cure anything. And I also I have the backache. Uh, it's the post-covid level. Yes, and I'm afraid there was nothing for you. Oh. It's only been three weeks since your last case. Well, three weeks is an eternity to a brain like mine. Without the constant stimulation, my little grey cells will starve and die. Miss Lemon's making him inhale steam. And you can tell he's utterly miserable. And I want to give a shout out to the makeup department here for keeping that moustache on during all that steam. That's some good adhesive. Mm-hmm. What are they using? Their super glue? It's almost like it's a real moustache. Yeah, which we know it's not. Do we? <laughs> it does, but again, that's just how good David Suchet's acting is. He makes us believe that it's real. Do you actually think they would ask David Suchet to steam his face? under a towel or do you think they just went with some water do you think it's dry ice it does seem a little bit too method i mean he's very committed to his characterization so i guess whenever this is be one of the first if we ever finally get him on the podcast that could be the first question yeah. we ask did you actually mental <laughs> did you steam yeah. your face um i love i love the fact that uh, you get not just withering remarks from Poirot as he's trying to heal himself but also in a funny voice and he pulls it off he nails that yes the cold voice doesn't he? it's brilliant already you can see I am suffering the effects Hastings decides to come up with a way well, he comes up with a way to cheer up Poirot by making a bet with him and I love mm-hmm. this whole plot thread this is fantacular so Hastings has tickets for mm-hmm. he and himself and Poirot to go and see a new mystery play at the Wyndham Theatre called The Deadly Shroud and he makes a bet with Poirot. I've got something to cheer you up. 
really. A couple of tickets for the Deadly Shroud. You know, the new murder mystery at Wyndham's. Well, my dear Hastings, that is most kind, but how can a mere stage play be compared to the real-life cases of a cult Poirot? Tell you what, I'll wager you ten quid you can't solve the Deadly Shroud. You are? The money, of course, is of no importance. But I find your challenge irresistible. I accept. Yeah, it was, and and it goes exactly how you want it to. <laughs> I would say. <laughs> Not only is Pyro's hair messed up, his moustache is messed up, he's covered in sweat, he's got a cold, he's waddling around and wobbling all over the place. He then goes to this play. Yes. Completely, completely <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. The solution. <laughs> yeah, showing up as a, yeah, he's not firing on all cylinders. Yeah. And in classic Poirot style, cannot accept that he didn't get it right. It was the writer that's wrong. The writer is an imbecile. Only one other person in this room knew of this well-kept secret and stood to gain from the Major's death, his wife. Am I not correct, Mrs. Sadler? Oh. Oh, that's that's absurd. The writer is an imbecile. He he blames it on we didn't have all the information we didn't yes you know we weren't given we weren't privy to everything all the facts mm-hmm. do you think that's um like a like a dig at the facts that many people gave that criticism about murder of Roger Ackroyd didn't they they were like oh wow what a cheat you know mm. Agatha Christie's cheated us basically because yeah we didn't have all the information yeah I like to think so I think but you know inevitably obviously that's part of the if you get if you can guess it every single time it's going to get a bit boring and you're going to think why am i bothering watching this anymore so sometimes they need to show things that you don't fully understand or you don't see the, the full side of and da, da, da. so yeah i think you're probably right they're probably having a poking a little bit of fun at that but it also just makes it yeah perfect to see Poirot being a little bit of a sore loser himself with the no i'm always right the writer's an imbecile it's ridiculous it should have been the butler should have done it <laughs> That classic trope as well. Even when he's paying up, he's still sort of grousing about it. Oh, I don't mind paying, you know. I'm a man of my word, even though the writer is <laughs> yes, not. Righteous indignation. <laughs> I say, Poirot, you're beginning to make me feel badly about all this. No, 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 not at all. Hercule Poirot is a man of his word, even if the playwright is not. We were not given all the facts. It was only at the end that we discover that Major Sadler is Lady Muriel's son. This is where the story really begins. We we open on flat 36B, which is obviously the third floor, uh, hence the title. And moving into the flat is uh, Miss Ernestine Grant, played by our big name for this episode. Josie Lawrence. Josie Lawrence, who TV audiences, especially of this time, would have known best for Whose Lines It Anyway. I mean, she was mm. phenomenal, wasn't it? I grew up watching that show. So mm, me too. It's, she is... Yeah, I've never really... Obviously, she's a hilarious comedian and mm. an amazing improviser. I never really figured her as a, a proper actress. Yeah, and she's really good yeah, as well. <laughs> really good. Flawless, yeah. Yeah, I kept expecting her to like burst into song or something because she always did really good song numbers on Whose Line Is It Anyway and stuff. But yeah, no, it was, it was good to see her play a serious role. Sad that she does end up getting murdered, though. Bit of a downer. She lives in flat 36B. And as she's moving in, um, we hear the flat above, 46B, where Miss Patricia Matthews lives. And she's dancing with her friend and they're listening to a gramophone. Ernestine Grant, who's moving in, is sort of Mm. looking up at the ceiling, up at the flat above, sort of scowling. Uh, The impression you're supposed to get is that she's not happy about the noise. We later find out that's kind of 
not it but yeah yeah and that would be my if uh, if it was me i can't imagine more annoying neighbors than ones who are up above you dancing with probably their 1930s solid shoes on on a parquet floor to a gramophone that's really loud as well they probably are the most annoying kind of neighbor clop 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 right exactly Yeah, it reminds me of, you know, in Top Hat when Fred Astaire's doing his tapping around mm. and he wakes Ginger Rogers yeah. up. It's like, shut up. <laughs> so, Dude, yeah, it's 3 p.m. Yeah, lucky they don't get murdered for being bloody annoying <laughs> as neighbours, <laughs> my opinion. But The geography of the place is, is made very nice and clear. See, the, the camera sweeps up from 36B. You see Ernestine Grant in her window glaring up at the ceiling. Up to 46B, where you see the two ladies dancing to their music and having a nice afternoon. And then it sweeps up again to 56B, the apartment of Hercule Poirot, who's suffering from a cold. Where he's getting all steamy. Yeah, in one fell shot, you get the complete world of this episode. There's, those are the three locations that you need to know, and they're all, um, you know, all neighbours. Yeah, it, and, and that shot—I don't know—you are the Hitchcock expert, but it felt quite Hitchcocky. Yeah, in I mean, a way is that—is that a verb we can use? Hitchcocky. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. Um, he he was all about pure cinema. Tell a story without speaking if you can, and um, definitely you see that she's annoyed. You see, there's a carefree couple. Uh, between them and then you see Mr. Ill detective above them all you know observing them from on high so yeah you know five second shot and you know everything yes fantastic so while uh the the women are up prancing around upstairs doing their little tap routine to to, with complete disregard for everyone around them big selfish people uh Ernestine pops upstairs and slides a letter underneath the door of 46b and they they stopped dancing enough to notice there's a letter under the door. So that's something at least. I guess they weren't that loud if they could hear a letter slide in. Um, and it's a letter from Ernestine Grant. And it's uh, quite... Oblique. Yeah, it's a little bit kind of ominous in tone, the letter, would you say? But mm. they interpret it to mean, can you can we talk about the bloody noise and for the love of God, please stop dancing mm. <laughs> as a potential <laughs> motive for the letter. Dear Miss Matthews, I'm the new tenant of 36B directly below you. I wonder if I might have a word at your earliest convenience. Ernestine Grant, Mrs. Sounds a bit ominous. What could she want? Lord knows. Have the clapped eyes on her. Probably complained about the gramophone or something. (laughs) Then a mysterious man arrives at the door of Ernestine Grant's. She opens it. We only see the back of him. (sighs) And she says, oh, it's you. You'd better come in. And the door closes. That's the last time we see Ernestine Grant alive. Dun, dun, dun. Come in. Cut to later on that evening. As we say, Poirot and Hastings are watching the play, which is uh, The Deadly Shroud. During the intermission, they glance over. Poirot is still suffering slightly from a cold, and he notices Patricia Matthews, who's the girl downstairs dancing with her friend. She's with her friend again, and they're with two guys, Donovan and Jimmy. Yeah, and also Poirot reveals uh, a little bit of a fondness for Patricia in that moment, which is, he often has a fondness for um, women in the show. He often, you know, he describes himself in one as an avuncular kind of feeling for them but with this one he's like he's a little bit kind of smitten by her and he does go on to reveal later on that he once loved a very i didn't like the term very young felt a little bit awkward here he's like i once loved a very young beautiful english girl who resembled 
you greatly. So it, we don't know what's going on there. Who that's a little reference to young Poirot being a little bit, a little bit romantic underneath it all. It's Mademoiselle Matthews. Over there, Hastings, the girl in the red dress. She lives in the flat below me in Whitehaven Mansions. An enchanting Mademoiselle Nesbitt. Yes. We, we know the disappointment that Poirot experiences after that when he doesn't get the killer right in the play and he's very upset. And they go home and Patricia and her gang head back to Whitehaven as well. And Patricia discovers, as she comes to the door, that she's lost her key to the flat. Mother, I can't find my key. And I had to just forgot to bring it, down. Of course I didn't. I'm not a completely complete Donovan. I always bring my key. <laughs> Actually, I saw her put it in her bag before we left. There, you see? The point is, how are we going to get in? Well, the night port will be off duty now. Donovan, darling, you wouldn't care to be a cat burglar, would you? No, Pat. I think even among cat burglars, a fourth-floor flat might be regarded as rather a reckless proposition. Is there a fire escape? No, but there's a coal lift. That's a point. It's loaded in the basement of the flats and goes up to a hatch in the kitchen. We put the dustbins on it as well, so them done. A suggestion is made that perhaps they could use the um, garbage garbage disposal coal vent. They yeah, call it's like it. Yeah, a lift that goes it's like a service elevator. It's like a dumb waiter. Yeah, that the, they put bins and laundry and things in and wheel it down to the basement mm. where the laundry is taken away or the coal is shipped up or whatever. Yeah. So Donovan and Jimmy go down to the basement. They climb into the dumb waiter and they go up and up and up and up and up and they come to the hatch. And they go through the apartment. It's very dark. They can't really tell where they are. And when they get to the living room, they flick on the light and discover that they're in the wrong apartment. This is a Pat's flat. Keep us. This is Ernestine Grant. Oh, Lord, we're 36B, not 46B. I suggest we get out of here before she finds us. They're in the apartment of Ernestine Grant, which they know because they find the mail on her table. And he said, oh, we're in the wrong apartment. We're in 36B, not 46B. And it's then that Jimmy glances over and sees the body of Ernestine Grant lying behind a packing crate. Look! While this is all going on, Patricia and her friend Mildred are sat on the stairwell. And I just to check back to my notes here, how I've written it, because I think I've got it perfect. Uh, the two women decide to sit in the stairwell and sing while they wait, thus confirming, confirming their position as the worst kind of neighbours you could possibly imagine. Poirot hears them. So, he, first of all, he hears the lift going up and down. He's like, what's going on? This shouldn't be going on. So he glances hmm. down the lift shaft with Hastings and sees the, the two men. And he instantly deduces that they've been locked out because, you know, they're in evening dress. Why would they be robbing the place? <laughs> and then he hears um, the, them catawalling out on the stairwell, doesn't he? And he loves it. He loves it because I think he's smitten with Patricia. Mm. So Poirot and Hastings are observing the two singing ladies sat outside the door waiting to be let in when Jimmy and Donovan emerge on the floor below them mm. and announce mm. up to to Poirot, who's listening, and to Patricia that uh, they've just found a body in the in the apartment of Ernestine Grant. And that is where the mystery kicks off. Pat, Mildred, something's happened. What is it? There's a dead woman down here. So Jap's on the way, but before he's stomping around and, all right, my lad, Poirot <laughs> does manage to garner a few clues. The first one is when the boys came into the apartment, Donovan tried the light in the kitchen to see to see their way around, but um, the switch didn't work. However, when Poirot tries it, it does work. comes instantly on. 
which they suggest might be due to a loose connection. Oh, very odd. Maybe there's a loose connection. Or perhaps the bulb has been replaced. They also hear, this is quite a funny moment as well, where they hear a noise and they're like, what is that noise? And they they find out actually the source of the noise is the domestic who is sleeping and snoring her head off in her little room. So it's really loud. <laughs> really powerful pipes. Yeah. It is the domestic, the maid. We will let her sleep for the moment. I can only think that maybe the higher up you go in the building, the better calibre of person you get. I think that's true in a lot of buildings, right? So when you get to, I mean, Poirot should arguably be in the, on the roof somewhere because he's the best of the best. But So my house is one floor, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just the basement. Um, and then they also discover Donovan sits down at the table and discovers that he's got blood on his sleeve. And where did that come from? But he realises that the blood is on the table where he sat. So poor Ernestine must have been, she was shot and it must have been shot at the table because, or she was moved to where she was because, yeah, of where the blood is and that Donovan's accidentally picked it up on his sleeve. The crime was committed at the table and then the body was moved to the window. So there's planning behind this killing. Yes. Uh, immediately, Poirot can see that. She was killed and then moved for a very specific reason. Yes. Also, Poirot tells Hastings to go and find out what time the last post was received because the last post is on the table. It's what Donovan used to identify where they were. So it's very important because if the post is on the table, then they're trying to get the timeline right. She was murdered at the table. The post has arrived and she's been yeah. moved. So they're trying to get a, a, a clear clear idea of the exact uh, sequence of events. That's two episodes in a row now that has heavily relied on postal evidence mm. and the time of post being delivered. The evening post has a lot to answer for. Do you think that's why they stopped doing it? Because people kept getting murdered and using it as some sort of evidence. Then, <laughs> um, While Jap's away, Poirot has played, but now Jap's on the scene and obviously delighted to see his old friend. Po and he even says, actually, there's a really good line when he rocks up in front of Whitehaven. He turns to the other detectives. You better watch your step, lads. This is where the famous private detective, Mr. Hercule Poirot, lives. But in that loving way that him, he and Poirot have between each other. Yeah, so they're always like elbowing each other in the ribs, aren't they, a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. Quickly, before we go on, I'm just going to give you the second name you need for the Pale Horse First Edition competition. The second name you need is Ginger Corrigan. That sounds like a, a, a cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. You should make a Ginger Corrigan. Mm. What would go in it? Ginger. Oranges. Carrots. Just all things orange. That's an orange drink. Orange soda. Big Mac sauce. <laughs> Iron brew. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds delicious. <laughs> all the skin from those people on The Only Way, I think. A bag of what's it? <laughs> <laughs> Melted in. <laughs> well, listen out for the new recipe book coming from the Labours of Hercule Poirot. You need a great big cauldron and then you need to go and skin all the people from the only way. It's getting dark. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so back to the case. The domestic gets up and she confirms that she had the evening off. She went out at 5pm and she got back at 10pm. She let herself in with her own key and she thought her mistress was in bed. Now, it's important because she is the one who picked up the last posts. Mm popped it on the table. So we know that the killing happened between 5 and 10pm. 
and when she came into the room to drop the post off, Ernestine Grant was dead, but her body was lying behind the packing case. She just thought her mistress had gone to bed. Yeah. That's really important, all of that, especially the post. Yes. The post plays a massive, massive part in this episode. It's very, very important. The power of the postal service, you see. (laughs) (laughs) Also, while Jap is having a little sift around the apartment, he discovers a handkerchief that was at the crime scene that he believes belongs to the killer. And it's monogrammed with the initials J.F., And that seems to correlate with a letter that was also found in the pocket of poor Ernestine. um, And it says, if it suits you, I shall come this evening. Shall we say six o'clock, Fraser? If it suits you, I will come this evening. Shall we say six o'clock, Fraser? An incriminating document for this, Fraser. Well, I think we may take it that JF and Fraser are one and the same. A John Fraser, perhaps. I love that Jap's brain instantly fills in a lot of gaps here. And he's like, JF, probably John Fraser. I'm like, who's John Fraser? Like, don't know. Pro- probably is though, isn't it? Because it's a J. Uh, and yeah, he's probably the murderer. So we should just go and find him, really. That's instantly for, for Jap. He's kind of wrapped it in his mind. He's like, this is really easy. I'll be home in time for, for the radio show this evening and a cup of cocoa, go to bed. But yeah, Par is not quite as convinced that... A mysterious John Fraser, who <laughs> no one's ever heard of, may not even be real, is the one that committed the murder. Poirot then does something rather unusual. Yes. He starts rooting around in the bin. And from the bin, he pulls out a small glass bottle. And he hands it to Donovan uh, and says, you know, look what I found. Donovan instantly whips off the lid and sticks it to his nose and passes out. I thought so. Voila. Pardon, I have a cold. Would you be so kind, Monsieur Donovan? Thank you. No, 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 Cassino, Donovan, why did you take off the lid? It's stupid! Jimmy, fetch some brandy, if you please, in the sitting room, I think. Hastings, the dark cloth. You, you say what you've written. <laughs> I said, he hands it to Donovan, he takes off the lid to smell it, like a f***ing idiot, and he faints. <laughs> because if some, I mean, granted, if Poirot told me to do anything, I would instantly do it without question, because such is my devotion to him. But I kind of feel like we all know what a poison bottle looks like at this point. We're all vintage fans. We're all old timey thing fans. It's a glass blue bottle. It's very pretty, but it's got a little cork in it. Now, it may as well have a skull and crossbones on, on the front, emblazoned, that it could potentially kill you. Do you just start huffing things that people <laughs> hand you? Like, Donovan, maybe not the brightest for doing that. But yeah, he's a, that was my, what led to me calling him a f***ing idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but, but while he's down, he sends Jimmy off to go get some brandy mm-hmm. so that he can they can try and bring him around. Because I guess if he's been poisoned, he probably could use a drink mm. to cheer him up. Uh, and then once he, they manage to rouse him and then Hastings takes him upstairs to recover. Mm. And he tells Hastings to keep keep a close eye on Donovan because he's very anxious for his health. Yes. Now, this scene, uh, it's a very quick scene. So basically, mm. Poirot roots around a bit. He pulls this bottle out, hands it to Donovan. Donovan whips it off. Um, it's got obviously got some kind of knockout drops or something in there. Mm-hmm. He collapses. Poirot sends Jimmy off to get some brandy, revives Donovan. Sends Donovan up to Patricia's flat with Hastings and says, take care of him. Very, very important you take care of him. Then he rinses the brandy glass in the sink 
and tells Jimmy that the case is solved. We are 28 minutes into the episode. Yeah. So we're about, you know, just over halfway and the case is solved. Now, if you want to solve this yourself, Mm -hmm. you need to stop watching at the 29 minute mark. Because Poirot announces who the killer is. Yeah, they're about... Obviously, Ernestine Grant was shot. And then all of a sudden, they're finding bottles in the bin. Yeah. With knockout drops. Poirot, why would you look in the bin for them? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this scene seems very chaotic when you're watching. You're like, Mm -hmm. hang on a minute. I can't really keep my head around what's going on with all these clues. But unfortunately... We can't really go any further without spoiling it because, Mm. yeah, I mean, those are unfortunately all the clues we can give to you. Definitely can give you three key clues that will help you solve it. Yeah. We'll do three, but um, I want to do a bonus one. The letter that Ernestine Grant sends to Miss Patricia Matthews. There's a word, a key word in that letter she uses. When Patricia reads it out, the very last word she reads that's very important that's all i'll say dear miss matthews i'm the new tenant of 36b directly below you i wonder if i might have a word at your earliest convenience ernestine grant mrs yeah that's a good one so the first clue um i mean we've talked about it quite a lot already is the post is the big one and the fact that there was an evening post delivery that um, the the domestic, as they call her, picked up and left on the table. Apparently the last post arrived at nine o'clock this evening. Thank you, Hastings. And according to Dicker, nobody out of the ordinary came in and out of the building all night. The second key clue is, ironically, the key of Patricia Matthews, <laughs> which is missing, forcing the two men to have to use the elevator. Although I can't find my key. Perhaps I just forgot to bring it, darling. Of course I didn't. I'm not a complete nincompoop, Donovan. I always bring my key. <laughs> Actually, I saw her put it in her bag before we left. There, you see? And the third clue is that she was shot one place and then moved conveniently, tucked away um, after she had died. It's very curious. Curious? To try and hide the body. Didn't want the crime discovered until he made his getaway. Perhaps. Perhaps. Those are the top three clues. And a small bonus one. Check out the last word used in the letter to Patricia at the beginning. So what do you think of this episode, Adam? This is a very strange, imbalanced episode. Yes. I don't dislike it, but um, it's remarkably different uh, in that... It's only half an episode. Mm-hmm. So the murderer is revealed mm-hmm. just over the halfway mark in this. And the rest of the episode is a pursuit. We'll talk about it properly in the reveal section later. But it does feel like padding slightly. The mystery as well is kind of hard to solve mm-hmm. because most of the details don't come out until after the murder has been revealed. Mm-hmm. which is a slight cheat, I think. It's what Poirot was annoyed about in the play he saw. Yeah, you don't get all the details, do you? No. Uh, until after. So if you don't manage to solve this one, then don't worry because it's not really playing fair. Also as well, you're 28 minutes into the episode. It's not like a John Fraser is going to suddenly show up. You know, Agatha Christie never did that. The, the suspects are there all the way through. Mm-hmm. So um, the pool of names you can choose from is rather limited i would say mm-hmm. no one's going to show up at you know two-thirds of the episode in and they're going oh it's that guy so we know it's a man and uh you're very limited when it comes to choices so it's really a case of which one of them 
And the thing with this one I found is even though you don't, you may not know the motive Mm. for the murder, you need all the the clues after to figure out, but you may have an inkling of who, because as you said, the pool of suspects is very small. And also just looking at the characters, you can probably figure out who it is, but maybe not why they did it. So you can, if you get half marks, I would say if you have a, you're like, I'm pretty sure it's this, this one, then that, that, that was where I got to with it. Not to give myself any credit, but it feels kind of obvious that out of the, the very shallow pool of people, it's going to be one more than the other. This one, I mean, before you and I started recording, I think I said something like, oh, let's just get this one done. Because I kind of feel it has a similar feel to it that perhaps Johnny Waverly did, mm. where you're a bit like, mm, not the best. It's not bad. Again, there's a lot of fun. As we said, like we, you get to see Suchet giving his full range of comedic skills a little show off, which is great. Hastings is great in this as well. And, you know, you see more of Whitehaven, which who doesn't want an apartment tour of Whitehaven? Oh, my God, sign me up forever. Um, so there's a lot of good in it. But yeah, as as this, as a, one of her stories, like it's it's not one of the most exciting. When, when we came to this one, I wasn't like, oh, yippee, I can't wait to watch the third floor flat again. You know, we, I think we were both a bit like, OK, what would you rate it? The mystery is actually, once you know it all, once, once it's explained, it's actually like, oh, okay, yeah, mm. that's good. So I'm going to go straight down the middle on mine. I'm going to go five. Oh, okay. I think it's slightly unfair because you can't really work it out. You just have to have a guess. Mm. I mean, as we say, Agatha Christie's not going to suddenly introduce a dark stranger. So the perpetrator of the crime is among the cast that you're watching. It's, it's a slight cheat. It's not one I rush back to very often. But yeah, I'll go five. It's not Johnny Waverly bad, but yeah. No, that's that's definitely the worst on the scale of Johnny Waverley. It's it's a few above of that. In fact, I'll say four. Yeah. Do you know I was thinking four more for it, but but it's and also I think the fact as you said, like the pacing of it's really odd. Like the fact you find out in the middle, you kind of you you normally get that build up throughout the episode and you know build that suspense. You don't really get that with this one. It's kind of like Poirot's like, oh yeah, by the way, I've solved it. You're like, oh, it's him. (laughs) Yeah. What? And here's why. Cool. And then there's a lot of fun afterwards, mm. but it, I think more build up and more, more, I say, more kind of opportunity for different characters to potentially have been suspects would have just made it a little bit more intriguing, shall mm. we say. Yeah. But look at me critiquing Agatha Christie's writing. You know what I mean? <laughs> just when you compare it to some of the other mysteries that mm. we've got coming, which are, God, like roller coaster rides of you know suspense and genius mm. it's yeah not her, not the best one no but still good fun still good moments a few people i know that are big poirot fans tv poirot fans have said oh it's third floor flat next isn't it I'm like, yeah and they're like Ugh. yeah <laughs> you know so <laughs> i think everyone feels that, yeah i think it's a common thing yeah it's a shame because um like we've had johnny waverley in this series and now we've got third floor flat and they're just not that engaging, those two, but no. the, the episodes that are coming up. I and mean, we've got Triangle at Rhodes next, which is brilliant. Can't wait. Problem at Seas coming. So ready for a holiday. Which is brilliant. I mean, there's so many great ones coming. This feels like the last yeah. of the Dullards. Yeah, I agree. I think this is this is a nice little domestic number. Mm. And then we're going to set, we're going to go off to more foreign lands in the mm. next two, which I'm very excited about. Yeah, we're in exotic places. Yes, yeah. sun cream on everyone. Really good. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'll give the mystery a four out of ten. If you can solve it, then um, you're doing very well because 
half the clues you need aren't actually there. <laughs> as I say, if you can solve it, but you don't have the motive, I think that's okay as well. Yeah, because, as I, think, I say, yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't need to work out why. Yeah, exactly. As if you, you can pretty much tell who it is if you follow the clues, but you don't need to work out why because it's not explained until exactly. afterwards. Until later. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that was the third floor flat. I'm just going to quickly give you the third name you need for our Pale Horse First Edition competition. The third name you need is Zachariah Osborne. So if you take all three of those and DM them to us at Libers Acule, and then um, make sure you're following us and you'll be in with a chance to win this first edition of Agatha Christie. Our DMs are open, so slide on in, as the kids say. <laughs> Do they say that? Frankie loves it when people do that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, sometimes it's interesting. <laughs> How about... What's uh, what's your uh, sick burn of this? So, there, it's not as burny, perhaps, in this one as Johnny Waverley, but there are still a couple of zingers in there. Um, it was, I think, when... In the beginning of the episode, when... Uh, Hastings asks Poirot how he's feeling and he he says, how's, your, how's the cold, old boy? And he says, no, you're also trying to give me the hat attack. I wouldn't be surprised if riding in that car was not responsible for my present malady. And then, she, and then Hastings says, oh, she's too much of a lady to give anyone a cold. She's running like a bird since I fitted those new gaskets. <laughs> and Poirot says, birds do not run, Hastings. When you were little, you should have paid more attention to your lessons in biology. My favourite um, sick burn is the uh, the one where uh, he's in the kitchen because Mademoiselle Patricia very kindly makes him an omelette, doesn't she? And they're all sat around and having a little, like, you know, tete-a-tete about what's happened downstairs. Yes. And um, Mademoiselle Patricia's friend says, I bet you're inured to all of this, aren't you, Mr Poirot? I suppose you're inured to this sort of thing, Mr Poirot. No, 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 on the contrary. I think it is very nice. You know, Mademoiselle Patricia, I once loved a very young, beautiful English girl who resembled you greatly, but alas, she could not cook. <laughs> and your relationship with her? No, I meant, well, you know, poor Mrs Grant and everything. Oh, God, wouldn't that be heartbroken if Poirot dumped you for not being a good cook? I don't know how you get, I don't know how you get over that. Should have made him some rabbit de liege. Or some boiled owl. Yeah, the most rabbity rabbit he'd ever tasted. Unfortunately not. But uh, also there is a um, another, it's not so much a burn, but another great line at the very, very end when Miss Lemon comes back in and she sees that Poirot's all, all better and looking good again. And she said, oh, how's your cold? And he says, Poirot does not have colds, Miss Lemon. It is well known that Poirot scorns all but the gravest afflictions. There's a beautiful moment as well when um, it's not it's not a burn, but when uh, Poirot arrives on the scene. Not the Monsieur Poirot. Yes, he lives in the flat above me. Uh, gosh, I didn't know. This is an honour, sir. Thank you. You see his things. I am still a force to be calculated. <laughs> you're all right, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, you're all right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful little moment. There were, there were so many. Also, just this is a really good bit of... Uh, flat porn for Whitehaven because Whitehaven at night all lit up with all the different lights in the apartment is beautiful gorgeous to see you get to see the staircase inside Whitehaven which is gorgeous as well and that you know one of the classic old um, cage elevators that they have like yes that, that that's some good stuff and then there's also another really I, I put like a quite a horny note in mind with Hastings running out of Whitehaven at one point wearing his tux I'm like oh god damn <laughs> looking good Hastings <laughs> <laughs> Yet again, sartorial elegance. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, if you want to go away and solve it, 
then uh, take the three point five clues and uh, please let us know how you get on. Yeah, as Adam says, don't forget to enter our competition. You can also just tweet us anything that you think about this episode or any of the other things or anything you want us to talk about at, on Twitter at Labours Hercule. We're also on Instagram at the Labours of I think it's Labours of Hercule. I'm actually getting of in there. Um, and you can email us as well as we said earlier so yeah just just we just want to hear from you we just want to see how you are we want to have a chat so do get in touch and um yeah if you wouldn't mind leaving us uh, a nice review on apple Podcasts, that would be very very nice of you thank you very much uh, make sure you're following us at, on twitter at labors and take the three names that i've given you throughout this episode and just dm us those three names and you'll be in with a chance to win a beautiful first edition of the pale horse bag of the christie and don't forget to stick around after the music if you're ready to discuss the denouement or if you want to go away and watch it first we'll wait for you to come back and then you can hear we can discuss the ending well, we'll uh, we'll speak to you in a while. Au revoir. Bonjour. <laughs> 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 So, if you're listening now, that means you are ready to have solved the murder. If you haven't done it already, we're going to do the denouement. And the killer is... Go on, Adam. Donovan. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Don't leave that bit in, really. No, please leave that in. Oh, golly. (laughs) Gosh. Good grief. Mike. Damn defensive. You're damn defensive. You're damn defensive. You should make it as a ringtone for people to download. Every time you text me, I just want to hear, you're damn defensive, coming out of my pocket. You're damn defensive. Yes, the killer is Donovan. Yes, um, Mr. Mr. Sniffy Bottle. Yes, Sniffy Bottle. <laughs> it's not going to be soppy old Jimmy, is it? Let's be real. Mm. Although they do try and muddy the waters slightly when um, they enter the flat because it's Jimmy who finds the body and it's Donovan who's, we're in the wrong flat, let's go, and he's sort of halfway out and then Jimmy spots the body. So you do kind of think, well, it must be Jimmy then because he's the one who's found the body. So yeah, but it's Donovan and um, there's a whole host of reasons why. Well, just run through why. I mean, you don't get this until later, but basically Donovan is married to Ernestine Grant, but he wants to be with mademoiselle patricia so he decides to do away with ernestine grant so that he can have mademoiselle patricia. that's the nuts and bolts of the motive and it's it, they, they try and make it a little bit more fiddly because it seems that donovan and ernestine were married in switzerland and he's like no no it doesn't count you know everyone knows that switzerland rules don't count yeah what goes on tour stays on tour <laughs> exactly lads lads yeah. lads different postcodes love <laughs> uh, and she she's like actually no turns out i checked with a, a lawyer mm. and he said that our marriage is definitely valid 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 so uh yeah we're married and this is great so haha yeah so you can't marry patricia and she knows about patricia this scene is a flashback scene because when Poirot is revealing it you get this flashback scene basically donovan was the man who turned up to her flat early one she let him in uh, they had this conversation he said we're not married legally because in switzerland it doesn't count in england she said i've spoken to a legal representative and he's sending me confirmation tonight that we are definitely married i ask myself why hide the body behind the packing cases to gain time yes 
but for the very special reason. You see, Jimmy, earlier this evening, the murderer entered this flat in order to take something, huh? but that something was nowhere to be found. So it was necessary for him to return, but only after the last post was delivered. So he had to hide the body behind the curtain. Then Mademoiselle Trotter, the domestic, enters, sees nothing unusual, places the last post on the table and retires to bed. And what's that letter then, sir? Oh, this letter, Jimmy. This was the second item I took from Monsieur Bailey's pocket. It was this letter that he was so desperate to find. The problem is, he's killed her now. Yeah. But he needs that confirmation letter. So this is why he's taken Mm -hmm. Patricia's key, so that he can mistakenly climb up the lift into Ernestine Grant's apartment later on. See, I thought, when I first watched this, this is a really cack-handed way of you know having a body be found mm. why what what's all this rigmarole about the lift and why are you climbing into the apartment and all this kind of mm. it's, it's because he needs the letter yeah but obviously the post doesn't arrive till later on and he's already killed Ernestine Grant so he moves the body mm-hmm. so that when the domestic comes in with the post yes she won't see the body and scream and there'll be police all over the place he moves it out of the way mm-hmm. he needs the evening mail to have arrived then he can mistakenly break into the flat with Jimmy retrieve the letter and then they can raise all hell about oh my goodness me we've come into a, an apartment yeah and no one will know they had an affiliation at all and he also removed the bulb or he messed with the bulb in the kitchen because when you as Poirot explains to Jimmy when you go into the kitchen you see very quickly that you're in the wrong apartment um, it looks completely different to Patricia's apartment so he took the bulb out and th- that way they were forced to go into the living room to kind of to figure it, things out where they were, get some light or whatever. And then he obviously went back with all the kerfuffle. We put the bulb back in because Poirot was able to turn the switch on. So this is all revealed. What happens for the last probably 15 minutes of the episode is that he is on the run through Whitehaven Mansions and he's being pursued by Poirot and Hastings and Jimmy. And it's basically an extended chase sequence for the last 15 minutes. The other bit before that, um, what I love is that when Poirot's telling Jimmy about Donovan uh, he says to Jimmy like you're in love with Patricia right because apparently everyone's in love with bloody Patricia I don't know what it is maybe it's her fringe it's just very attractive it's a very good fringe uh, so he's like hey you love her right and he's like yeah but she loves Donovan and he's like look Donovan's not going to be on the scene for much longer trust so this is your time man shoot your shot she's going to be really vulnerable she's really going to need someone so that you could be you Jimmy this is your time step up and uh, get a vulnerable hurt woman <laughs> basically Plus, she makes a mean omelette. Yeah, it was pretty good, yeah. Uh, so that, that I really enjoyed that part of Poirot just being like, look, this is your this is your time, Jimmy. Donovan's going, so now you can step in. Um, and then all kind of hell breaks loose because Donovan makes a dash for it in a very slow-moving 1930s cage elevator, or so they think, right? It goes on for a while, doesn't it? And you could tell this was all padding, really. Cause, I mean, the, the, the mystery's over by 30-minute mark, and then you've got 15 minutes of Donovan, 18 minutes of being pursued around the building. And Yeah, I was say, we forgot to mention the reason why Poirot drug gave him that bottle to smell was to get the letter. Yes, he instantly realised it was Donovan. Yeah. So he needed Donovan to be knocked out and Jimmy out the way so that he could be sure. So what he did was he 
planted, well, he didn't plant it, he just sort of reached in and had this bottle in his hand and said, oh, look, Donovan. Donovan was knocked out by these drops. He sent Jimmy off to get the brandy. Mm. And he went through Donovan's pockets while he was lying there on the floor and found the letter. So that's how he he's absolutely sure. I love that Poirot is such a gentleman, but he is not above these kind of sneaky tactics of drugging a man <laughs> and going through his person. <laughs> I love that about him. Imagine if he'd been wrong. <laughs> like, oh, well, have some brandy. Everything's fine. <laughs> Le sorry. <laughs> Je regret. And you think as well, he's just like, well, while I'm here, uh, that's quite a nice watch, actually. <laughs> Yoink. <laughs> you know, <just> like this. <laughs> it did make me laugh. <laughs> so, yeah, um, they get, uh, there's a, a pursuit all the way through the building, and we end on tragedy for Hastings. Mm. Poor old Hastings. It's always Hastings, isn't it, who gets uh, the worst of it. Oh, Hastings. Donovan manages to get out of the building and finds Hastings' car, jumps into it, starts it up. Hastings, in a, oh my God, my car's being stolen, no, does this fabulous leap into the road, holds out his hands, and somehow bends his entire face. (laughs) 180s his face, doesn't it? You've made a GIF, haven't you? I have made a GIF. I'm trying to do it with my face now. I can't. No. <laughs> it's like Edward Munch's The Screen. <laughs> really? Literally. <laughs> oh, that's in Photoshop to be done there. <laughs> so he has the same shaped head. Yeah. He goes, no. He leaps in front of the car and then the car swerves and crashes into a shop a kiosk that was across the road from Whitehaven and it's really damaged. That front axle was just sheared right through. No more poor Hastings. But you must not brood. You must occupy yourself, huh? Go and telephone the Chief Inspector Jacques and tell him we have caught his fisher. Poor old Hastings, I know. But he's really chuffed that Poirot is giving him his money back and saying it's... I know, he's massively very touched much. by that. Mind you, £10, probably buy four cars with that. Because it was £5 million, pounds. we've established this, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Inflation. But in... It also there's that after we've already had the reveal, the rest, the very kind of end parts of it as well is just Donovan explaining how he did it, which you've covered, and Jimmy reading the letter and everything and how, you know, she refused to divorce him and all that kind of thing. It, they spell it out very much after the fact. So, yeah, I think I think it's all been covered, really. But then, as I say, just to follow up on the initial thing of Poirot encouraging Jimmy to make shoot a shot, Poirot basically effectively takes their hands and puts them together. <laughs> He's like, go on. Yeah. Off you go, kids. And this implies that Jimmy and uh, Patricia will live happily ever after. Go to Mademoiselle Patricia. She doesn't want me. She wants him. No, 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 mon ami. She needs you. Go on, go to her. Yeah, so that's the episode then. Bit of a bumbling episode. Uh, very uneven, very imbalanced. <laughs> but very pleased to say that it's triangle at roads next which is I can't wait exotic intriguing yeah and has a wonderful mystery at the heart of it yeah a little bit a little bit romance a little bit sexy a little bit yeah it's gonna be fun i can't wait the key word for triangle at roads is deceitful mm, i thought you could say it's triangle <laughs> <laughs> it's also quite key yeah <laughs> well thank you for joining us been a real pleasure to spend some time with you frankie and to revisit poirot in any episode even though this is a lesser episode it's still great fun and the whole thing with his cold and the bet on the play and hastings 
car is there and everything. It's, it's all good. Yeah, there's some good physical comedy in there. Mm. Did you solve it? Did you get it? Be very impressed if you did. You should probably go and join Scotland Yard if you're able to get the motive um, along with who did it for this one because it's tricky. So you're very clever if you got it. Join us next time for Tranglet Roads. Don't forget to enter our competition. It's been a pleasure. Au revoir, mes amis. Au revoir, mes amis. If you'd like to keep up to date with what we're doing or get in touch with us, you can follow us on Twitter at Labours Hercule. We're also on Instagram if you like pictures at Labours of Hercule. And if you were born in the 1920s yourself, then you can be all old-fashioned and email us at bonjour at thelaboursofhercule.com. That's it from us. See you next time. Au revoir, mes amis. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.